Well, I also want to welcome you to Big Valley Grace Community Church here in our online campus. We're excited to worship together this weekend. And I want to share with you something that's pretty neat. And that is on the stage I'm standing on, there's a lot of Christmas trees. And all of the Christmas trees are hanging these stars. And on one side of the star, it says joy in the faith. And on the other side of the star, it has names. Names of people that we're praying for that this Christmas, they might come to know Jesus Christ. And I want to give you two names right now. The first is Linda. And the second is Tom. That we might pray for Linda and Tom. And now I want to challenge you that you'd have stars like these hanging in your own home. And you can go to bigvalleygrace.org forward slash Christmas. You can download a kind of do-it-yourself version of these stars, printed out to full color, that you might have hanging in your home some names of people that you're praying for, that they might come to know Jesus Christ this Christmas. So I want to take some time to pray for Linda and Tom and for the names you're going to write on the stars that are going to hang in your home. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord, we are excited to share the gospel. Father, we are so thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ, salvation in Jesus Christ. And it is an honor to celebrate Jesus Christ 52 weeks a year at Big Valley Grace Community Church. And in this season, Lord, we're praying for Linda, we're praying for Tom, we're praying for others that they might come to know Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, for those of us who call Big Valley Grace Community Church our home, would we be committed to praying, 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 that the message of the gospel would continue to go out, that it would go out uh, as a whole for us as a church family, but also us as individuals who are citizens of heaven. We've been transformed by grace. And there's residents of earth all around us. And God, use us. Use us to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ, to share the message of the gospel with others. And so, Lord, we lift up Linda, we lift up Tom, and we lift up all the names that are written on all the stars across all our campuses. Would people come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior this Christmas? And we pray this in Jesus' name. All God's family said, amen. Amen. Well, it's exciting to be together, to get into God's word together this weekend. We're in a series called Joy in the Faith, and it's really walking through the book of Philippians together. In week one, we looked at passage out of chapter one, verses 21 through 26. Paul starts off and he makes this great claim. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What an incredible statement to make. Not many people would make a statement that is bold like that, but Paul does. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. God's got a job for him to do. As long as he's got a lung, his air is in his lungs and his blood is flowing through his veins and the Holy Spirit of God is working in his life, there's work for him to do, fruitful labor. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Do I want to go be with Christ or do I want to keep working for Christ? I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But 
to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, the people that he was serving, and he's gonna tell us why. He was convinced, convinced, convinced of this. I know that I will remain and continue with all. You all, and he gives two reasons. The first is for your progress. Paul, when he's writing this letter to those in Philippi, the believers there, he was really concerned that they would grow, that they would grow and progress in Jesus Christ. And so he's going to keep serving because he wants other people to grow, to progress in Jesus Christ. And you know what happens when people progress in their relationship with Jesus Christ? Right here. They have joy in their faith. When you progress in your relationship with Jesus Christ, you are going to have joy in your faith. That's what we looked at in week one. Now, how are we going to do that? How are we going to have, uh, you know, joy in our faith? What do we need to do to progress in our faith? Well, that's what we looked at during week two of this series. And in Philippians chapter two, verses five through seven, it says this, have this mind among yourselves. It starts with your thinking. It starts with up here. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So Jesus has a mind and we need to have it also. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But what did Jesus do? What's the mindset we need to have? He emptied himself. He, he took on the form of a servant and what was the form of a servant that Jesus, the Son of God, takes on? He's born in the likeness of men. This is incredible because Jesus, the Son of God, who's a citizen of heaven, for the purposes of grace, he's transformed into a resident of earth. He, he takes on human flesh to himself. Why? So that we residents of earth, we might be able to access grace because of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he died for us. He paid for our sin. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He resurrected to new life that we as residents of earth, we might be transformed by the grace of God that we might also become citizens of heaven. And so that's what we want to see happen at Big Valley Grace Community Church. That's what we want to see happen in your life. That's what we want to see happen in Linda's life and in Tom's life. That the grace of God might transform them from residents of earth into citizens of heaven. That happens because Jesus is born a baby. He takes on the likeness of you and I. And he grows up to be the perfect sacrifice to pay for our sin. And I want you to know, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, right now is the time to do it. I want to encourage you to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. That you might be able to access the riches and the treasures that God has for you. Really, that you might be transformed by the grace of God from being a resident of earth into a citizen of heaven. So when we look at Paul and he's saying, hey, he wants us to progress, that we might have joy in our faith. How do we progress? Well, we progress by being transformed by the grace of God and that we would become more and more in the likeness of Jesus Christ. He took on the likeness of men. We need to take on the likeness of Jesus Christ. That was week two. Week three, 
We're gonna look at really having joy in the midst of this generation. And Philippians chapter two, verses 12 through eight is the passage that we're gonna enjoy together this weekend. It says this, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Paul's actually writing from prison. He was with them physically, in person, together as a assembly of believers. He's now physically located in a different place. He's in a prison writing a letter to them. And he's saying, in the same way that you obeyed, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You can see a theme that's emerging from this text. In verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst, and that's where we're getting our theme for this weekend, joy in the midst, it's out of this text right here, that we would be children of God without blemish in the midst of what? In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. So this weekend, we are looking at having joy in the midst, joy in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. And so the question that we would have is, well, how do we do that? How do we have joy when we're in the midst of crookedness? We're in the midst of a generation that is corrupt. It's evil. It's twisted. Well, we're going to go back to verse 12 and we'll walk through this passage and we'll see really the solution for that. What is it that we are to do? He says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, right here, work, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's not saying that we are saved by works. That's not what he's saying. He's saying we're saved by faith, and that faith, when we trust in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit of God comes to live in us, that the Holy Spirit of God begins to operate in our life and that our salvation becomes evident. It becomes known. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you. The Holy Spirit of God living in us is at work both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So there is work to do. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there is work for you to do that the Holy Spirit of God would be stirring in your life, working in your life, and that you would become obedient to the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. God is at work. If you are a follower of Jesus, God is at work, and he is at work in you. And you need to join God in the work that he wants to accomplish in your life. So, every believer, we can have joy in the midst of this generation by working in two ways. 
and you'll see that even in these ways, these two ways, it's really God's the one who's doing the work. But we join God in his work. This first way that we're going to look at, it's really about our position in Christ. At the end of verse 14, it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent. And then there's this phrase, children of God. Children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So we're, we're to work. The first way that we're going to work is as a child. And you go, that sounds kind of odd. Well, it is kind of odd, but it's the phrase that he uses, that we're children of God. Now, there's nothing you can do to work your way to become a child of God, and I'm going to explain why here. You see, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, it says this. At the end of verse 4, it says, In love, God the Father predestined us. He predestined us. For adoption to himself as sons, as children, through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. You do nothing to be adopted by God. I know this firsthand. Um, so I have nine children. My wife and I have nine children. Uh, four came into our home the good old-fashioned way. Uh, five of our children are adopted. Those five children did nothing to be adopted by us. There's no action those five children took that caused them to be adopted or caused us to adopt them. And so when we talk about being a child of God, we recognize it is all of God's work that causes us to be adopted by him. In the same way that my five children who were adopted did nothing to become adopted by my wife and I, you and I, we do nothing to accomplish our adoption to God the Father. It's all an accomplishment of him. And from that place of being a child of God, that's our position. We are a child of God. From that position of being a child of God, there's a posture we take, and it's being childlike. Being childlike. So when we talk about this first way of working is working like a child, it's not because we work to become a child, but it's children naturally do things that are childlike. And there are some things that we are to do that are supernaturally childlike in the likeness of our Heavenly Father. So there's first a warning. And the warning is this, that we would do nothing with grumbling or disputing. God's got a lot to say about grumbling and disputing. You might want to check out Numbers chapter 11. Uh, quite a bit of complaining goes on. <laughs> See how God deals with it. He, he doesn't like it. God doesn't like complaining. A great question for you to ask, a great question I'm asking myself, is what am I complaining about? 
What am I grumbling or disputing about? And do I represent my heavenly father when I grumble, when I dispute, when I complain? We're to do all things without grumbling or disputing. The verse goes on in verse 15 to say, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God. Children of God, without blemish, in the midst. Again, we're having, talking about joy in the midst this weekend. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So positionally, we are a child of God, but locationally, we are in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So I have a question. What's influencing me? Is my position in Christ influencing me or is my location in the midst of a twisted and crooked world influencing me? Is it the fact that God the Father is my heavenly Father? Is that what's influencing me as a child of God? Or is it that he's placed me where I'm located in the midst of a twisted and crooked generation, which is having the influence in my life? My position as a child of God or my location in the midst of a twisted and crooked generation? I would encourage you to consider that for yourself also. And that you would remember that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a citizen of heaven. That is the kingdom that you belong to. You belong to the kingdom of God. In verse 15, again, it says that you may be, there's something for us to be as, as children, as childlike, blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And this is the first way that a child works is a child shines, a child shines. And as a child of God, as a citizen of heaven, I am and you are to shine brightly in our location, which is in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now, I think a child shines. It, it makes sense when you think of what is childlike. I, I, I've got a kid. Well, I've got nine of them. But I've got one kid who's eight. And this kid wakes up every morning he gets completely dressed and he comes down and he's got a smile on his face and he is ready for the day. And this eight-year-old just naturally lights up the room when he comes into it because he's ready to go and he wants to have a great time and he lights up the room. I'm sure you've encountered a child who when they came into the room you were in, they lit up the room. Well, as a child of God, every room we enter into, we're to be childlike and we're to shine and we're to light up the room that we are in. And this is something that happens. It's not work that we do. It's more like child's play because it's childlike. It's being a child of God causes his work in us, causes us to light up the room that we're in. A child shines. You know, in our Advent passage that uh, young Luke uh, read for us this weekend. It says, and in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. God got their attention, how? With lights, with a bright light. 
And it's amazing how lights get our attention. I'm so thankful for lights. I'm thankful for lights every time I drive at night. And my, you know, lights on the front of my car. And there's lights that are stoplights. And I can see that a car is going to change lane because there's this blinking light that happens. When my kids were... Uh, and I, we went on a bike ride this week out at night and around their necks, we put these flashing lights, Christmas bulbs, just flashing lights. And on my wife's bike, there's these uh, flashing lights that are on the wheels and it just lights up. And, and we were just this flashing bike ride light show as we went through our neighborhood. You know, we love lights. We're drawn to lights and lights are used in an incredible way. And right here, God... He uses lights to get these shepherds' attention because there's a, there's a job for them to do. We're gonna talk about that more in a bit, but he uses light to get their attention. The first is that a child shines. The, the second thing we find is in verse 16. It has this phrase. It says that in verse 16, it says, holding fast to the word of life. Holding fast to the word of life. That's the second thing a child does. A child shines but a child also clings. A child clings, and what a child clings onto is the word of God. So I was wondering, how many times did Paul reference the word of God before he says, hold fast to the word of God? And you know what I found out? 12 times. In this letter alone, he talks about the word of God before he tells them, as a child, the childlike thing you need to do is to cling to the word of God. Listen to what he says. He says, you have a partnership in the gospel. We have defense and confirmation of the gospel. I want to advance the gospel. I, people are being bold to speak the word. I want to preach Christ. I want to defend the gospel. Christ is proclaimed. Let's live a, a life, be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let's side by side be striving for the faith of the gospel. He says at the name of Jesus, when the name is proclaimed, he says that they will confess, they will confess out loud that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then he gets here and he says, holding fast to the word of life holding fast. A dozen times he talks about the word of God before he then says, hold fast, hold fast to the word of God. You know, there's a reading plan, a Philippians reading plan that we're encouraging you to do. You can get that information at bigvalleygrace.org. It's right there on the homepage. You can uh, read daily with us. You can do a family reading plan also. My family has been enjoying that. We have our red and green chain hanging from the light fixture that's above the table that we share meals together at. We're building it day by day, putting that chain together as we read the verses. But there's also videos and so far, you've heard from 10 of our staff members, 10 of our staff members who have helped walk you through the book of Philippians. You can go back online and you can watch all those 10 videos. They're right there on our, web, on our website. I would encourage you to do that. We want to get you into the word of God because we, we understand that as a child of God, we're to shine brightly and we're to hold fast. We're to cling tightly to the word of God. And that's what a child does. A child shines brightly and clings tightly. We see the shepherds out of our Advent passage clinging tightly to the word of God in verse 15 of Luke chapter 10, uh, two. 
It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has made known to us. God makes known to them something and they hold on to it. They hold fast to it and they want to go see. So as a child of God, I encourage you, a child of God, a child clings tightly, it shines brightly. A child of God shines brightly, clings tightly. That's the work. That's the childlike work for us to do is to shine brightly for him and cling tightly to him. So way number one that we work is as a child and really God's the one who's doing the work. Way number two is as a messenger and really here God's the one who's doing the work. In Philippians 2 verse 13, it says, for it is God who works in you. It's God who works in you. God's the one doing the work. God's the one doing the work. He's the one who initiates the message for us as messengers. Now, the first thing that a messenger does is a messenger receives a message. A messenger receives a message. In Philippians 1.6, Paul writes to them and he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, God's the one who stirs up the work. He's the one who brings the message of the gospel to us. We receive it as a messenger from him. The first thing we do is we receive it. We see this happening with the shepherds in our Advent passage in Luke chapter 10, or chapter two, verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you, they were bringing to them the message, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So here in this moment, the shepherds, they got a job to do, but the first thing they do as a messenger is they receive the message. God brings the message to them by angels, which by the way, that's what angel means. It means messenger. That's what the term angel means is messenger. And so these angels bring a message they bring it to the shepherds and the shepherds, the first thing they do is they just receive it. They receive the message from the angels, a message of God. Now, Paul, he gives us a little hint in chapter two, verse 17 about his own life. He says, even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering, he's using language that talks about an old sacrificial system. But the point is, is he recognizes that he receives something and then he's poured out on behalf of others. He, he's being poured out for the glory of God in service to God and in service to the people that he's ministering to. He wants to be poured out. And this gives us a hint to what the second thing that a messenger does. The second thing a messenger does is a messenger delivers. A messenger receives and a messenger delivers. I, I don't know about you, but during this season, I've been tracking deliveries. In fact, I get text messages that show up on my phone. I get emails that come to my phone that say, your, you know, your package has made it to this location. And then I can go online and I can watch. I can see all the different locations that the, the package is making its way through. You know, there's a, there's a delivery that needs to be made once we receive the message. God wants us to deliver the message. And Paul, he did that in a lot of ways. And he shares with these believers in Philippi how he was doing that. In verse 12 through 14 out of chapter one, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel because he's delivering the message so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard 
and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. How did people know that? It's because he's delivering the message. He delivers the message. We see this in our Advent passage with our shepherds. It says, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They received the message and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, the baby, they made known the saying, they delivered the message. They made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child, and it says, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary, she treasured these things in her heart, pondering them in her heart. We see the shepherds, they deliver the message. A messenger receives the message and delivers the message. And the third thing we find in Philippians chapter two, verses 17 through 18. He says, even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. He's saying, I'm being poured out. I'm delivering the message. And because I've been poured out, because I've delivered, I've received a message, I've poured out, I've delivered the message. Now I am rejoicing. And that's the third thing that a messenger does. A messenger receives the message, a messenger delivers the message, and then a messenger rejoices that they had the opportunity to be a part of the message of the gospel coming out. We see this in our shepherds also in Luke chapter two, verse 20. It says, the shepherds returned and they were glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So a messenger of God, receives a message, delivers the message, and rejoices in the opportunity. And I wanna encourage you to do the same. It's why we have created this red box. It's an equipping tool. This is a, we call it the gift, and it, it is a box of tools to help you share the gospel. And we wanna encourage you, take advantage of the resources we have put together in this red box called The Gift. You can register uh, online, bigvalleygrace.org, and if you live locally, one of these boxes will be brought to you. If you don't live locally, you can actually get all of the resources in an online or a do-it-yourself format right there on our website. And I want you to know, the whole point of why we have gone to a lot of work to put this together is because we understand that you, if you're a follower of Jesus, that means you're a child of God and you are to shine brightly for him. And here's some tools to help you do that. If you're a follower of Jesus, he's called you to be a messenger for him. And you need to receive the message and you need to deliver the message and we wanna make sure you're rejoicing in the opportunities that God's giving you. And, and this box, it is for tools to equip you that you might be able to share the gospel, that you might turn your residence into a gospel deploying center, that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be going out from your own Residence, the place that you live, your apartment, your home, your condo. 
And so I encourage you to take advantage of that. And, uh, you know, this next week, you're going to have opportunities to invite people to Jesus Christ. You may have opportunities to share the gospel with them yourself. You may have opportunities to use this box and invite somebody into your home and to share the gospel with them. You may have an opportunity on December 19th and 20th to invite somebody that, that you love. It's one of your friends. It's somebody you care about. That they might come and hear the gospel at one of our three campuses on December 19th and 20th. I believe God's going to open up a lot of opportunities for you to share the gospel this week. And I want to encourage you, take advantage Take advantage of those opportunities. There are people like Linda and Tom who need to hear the gospel. And you are the child of God. You are the messenger of God that God has chosen to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they would have salvation in Jesus Christ and him alone. You're the one that God's chosen to bring that message to them. And so take advantage of all the opportunities that God is giving you. Opportunities to share Jesus Christ in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation that you might shine as a bright light for him. Father God, Lord, we love you and we're grateful for you. We're thankful for you. Thank you for this opportunity to worship Jesus Christ together to be in the word of God together. Lord, would you use us as your church family? Would you use us to share the gospel this week? And so help us to take advantage of the opportunities that you bring to us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our savior and our source of joy. And it's in that name that all God's family said, amen.